Welcome to Screw the Stock Market. On this show, we discuss a variety of alternative asset classes, tools to help you unleash your money, a success mindset, and inspiration to see what's possible when we do things differently. Hi. Before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank you guys for being such avid listeners and also to give you an opportunity to participate in various investment opportunities with Alex and I. Some of the same deals that we talk about will be offered to you so you can put to action what you've learned. Just go to www.screwthestockmarket.com and hit the invest with us button at the top of the page. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Screw the Stock Market. Today, we have another timeout episode with just me and Aziz, my old buddy, my compadre. And we're talking about a really interesting topic. I'll, I'll do the little intro, Aziz. So when I first heard about podcasts, the first one I listened to was Bigger Pockets. It's the biggest podcast in real estate. And I noticed that they have this trend that every single episode, they would ask their guest, what is the most, I think the question is something like, what is a book that you recommend? Or what's the most impactful book or what's that you... Yeah, the most influential in, in your, your journey. journey. Yeah, something like along those lines. And I noticed that nine out of 10 of the guests would always say rich dad, poor dad, rich dad, poor dad, rich dad, poor dad. Yeah. And over time, that like really, wow, a lot of these people like rich dad, poor dad, a lot of them are saying that changed their whole perspective on everything. And that's what got them to be a successful real estate investor. And now they're a guest on the most successful on the biggest real estate podcast in the world. And we found the same thing on our end too, when we interview people and ask them the same question, they say the same book. It keeps also. happening and there is a real trend there. And I read the book eventually, I was upset that I hadn't learned all these lessons when I was little, when I was growing up. I was also relieved I had learned some of them along the way. I'll, yeah. I'll give my dad credit, but I think that's the response that a lot of people get when they read the book, they're like, why don't I know about this stuff? This is crazy. It's a lot of it is counterintuitive. And years went by, hey, we went down this journey of doing the apartment complex stuff. And, and it's been cool, right? We're growing, we're learning. And but then the other day, I heard a podcast called If Books Could Kill. Which is my new favorite podcast, by the way, besides our own screw the stock market. <laughs> it's funny. It's a really funny podcast. It's very entertaining. And they just essentially do a review of what they call like air, airport books that have been very yeah. influential. And they're not like the biggest fans. They hate on a lot of the books. They like books that you would have heard of. Things like The Five Love Languages or Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Like all these. But their takes are, but their takes are yeah. hilarious. Yeah, they're really objectively funny. Like I was laughing out loud as I was, re I was listening to this one. And they did a review of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I just, as soon as it ended, I sent it to Aziz. I was like, Aziz, you got to listen to this. This is hilarious. And so we thought we'd do a little review of their review of the book of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is something we've been wanting to talk about anyway. It's fundamental to our show anyway. So here we are. Yeah. First, I guess let's talk a little bit about like our own, I guess I already talked about it. T tell me a little bit about your response when you first read the book. And then we'll get into the podcast episode. A big part of the book that resonated with me, it's like the mindset portion of it that kind of galvanizes you into thinking like, yeah, I've been a slave to the wage system. I've, I've been chasing these, un, 
these like raises and things like that that don't amount to really much of anything in the grand scheme of things and that really are not going to contribute much to my overall financial wealth and whatnot. So it had that kind of impact that just got me thinking about, okay, I need to get out of the rat race. I need to figure out something else. I can't be a sucker for the rest of my life because I feel like going down this path based on what the book is saying, I'm a sucker. So I need to get out. So it did galvanize me in that sense. But thinking back on it now and after listening to the podcast, I do realize that because I was so galvanized by those ideas, I didn't realize how badly written the book is. It's terribly written. It's awfully written. And he admits it. I don't know if it was in that book or one of the next ones, but he's, I'm not a good writer, but I've sold so many, like millions and millions of copies of my books. So he actually even acknowledges that he's not like the most eloquent, thoughtful writer. He just stream of consciousness, just blah, 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 blah. And, and then. Yeah. And and you realize in that after you listen to the podcast and go look back at the book, I was like, oh my God, this is just verbal diarrhea. <laughs> Parts of it just blatantly just don't make any sense. Certain portions of the book, he just, just randomly has one of the characters, I guess the rich dad, just going off on a rant about the gold standard. And like, that's a monetary policy from back in the day that pegged the dollar to gold. Like it was actually physically backed by gold. And we eventually shifted out of that. And you're like asking yourself, what does this have to do with anything? And he never gets to the point. And you're just, he just goes on a rant about the gold. Yeah, that was really funny because uh, the story was taking place in the 1950s when the United States was still on the gold standard. And so he, he said right. that his rich dad was predicting that someday they're going to take it away. And then that's going to be the beginning of the end. But it's just like irrelevant to the conversation they were having at the time. It was just. It's like, how's that going to make me rich now? <laughs> Then there's other portions which I found hilarious where they talk about how the rich dad was just blatantly exploiting Kurosaki as a kid and just basically building off of his child labor, which then you beg the question of what are you trying to teach him? The way to become wealthy is to exploit young children? I don't understand. And he never really clearly defines anything in that sense. So that gets to my point like Uh, with... Again, like I think there's good things about the book and I think there's bad things about the book. And so I think I get it. But with that part in particular, I feel like they purposely were neglecting or ignoring the main lesson in that anecdote, right? Because that's one of the most important parts of the book is where he takes young Robert Kiyosaki at the age of nine, goes and gets this mentor who's going to teach him how to build wealth. And gets exploited. The first lesson is, okay, I'm going to hire you for pennies an hour and literally yeah it was not like even five cents or something figuratively, yeah. literally yeah it was like i think 10 10 to 15 cents an hour which even back then was and so after a few weeks of working a few hours he's wow i still don't have enough to really buy anything meaningful this is not worth it and so the kid eventually gets angry and he goes and he confronts his boss his mentor and he says hey you're not paying me enough i need you to pay me more that's not fair you're making all this money blah 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 and so he's okay now you've learned the first lesson Working for money is a dead end, is essentially lesson one. And the way he summarizes it is that the rich don't work for money. And for me, that was a really resonant point, right? Is like whether you're making 10 cents an hour or $100 an hour, you're still limited in how much time you have and you're still on on that kind of rat race. And so for me, that was one of the examples in which they threw the baby out with the bathwater 
in their review of the book. And we did see that a little bit in one of our interviewees. I forget his name. But I remember one of our interviewees mentioned that when he first got started, he went and looked for a mentor and told him, I will do anything. I'll work for free and basically started off scrubbing toilets for this guy's apartments for free just so that he can learn. And eventually the guy took him under his wing and now he's successful real estate entrepreneur himself now just from everything that he learned from this guy but the initial start was cleaning toilets for free yeah yeah and um, the, that's the other part of that same lesson lesson one i think was don't work for money and i think it's like one of the later lessons in the book is the wealthy do work for experience for knowledge for learning and so even in the book kiyosaki talks about all of his little resumes step one i did this then i joined the military so i could learn to be a leader then i joined this so i could learn about logistics and import export and then finally with all that experience that i had developed over the years i was ready to go and start my company and so that's that corresponding lesson that they ignored in the book but then he contradicts himself too though because at one point he's talking about how Young Kurosaki goes up to his rich dad mentor and asks him, okay, I'm tired of working for slave wages. Give me a raise. And he's like, good. You're asking for more money, but I'm not going to give it to you because more money doesn't solve your problems. That just leads to greed and greed doesn't solve problems. Look at your dad. He makes a lot of money and he, he's not free. He's in worse shape than before, which is like the whole point of getting rich is to make more money. So <laughs> what lesson are you trying to teach? So there are points where it just bounced back and forth into these nonsensical yeah. loops. I, like the basic premises at the initial beginning, you are right. It's get the experience, leverage it, and leave and use that experience to make more money for yourself. But here, he wasn't even doing that. He was just going into this child labor circle with Rich Dad, who wasn't really explaining what the next steps yeah. are. And I think that was one of the chief complaints of the podcast. They're saying he never gives you any real actionable steps on, okay, this is how you go ahead and start making money. You start investing in real estate. You build a portfolio. These are the ways that you buy your first property or this, that, or the other. He just kind of lets him flounder. And I think, what is it, like the first time he tries to be entrepreneurial, he decides to go walking around the neighborhood at nine years old with his best friend, collecting toothpaste containers and trying to melt them down for lead. Like he built a smelter in his backyard with his best friend. And at nine years old, that's industrious that you can build a smelter and they actually smelt nickel shaped pieces of lead out of the tubes the toothpaste tubes because apparently they were made out of lead back then which first of all how are you going to build a smelter at nine for how do you even know what a smelter is second he says his poor dad came his which is his biological dad came and just saw him doing this i was like oh good on you like you're gonna let a nine-year-old play with molten lead in your mm -hmm. backyard and where do you even get the molds for the nickels that you're making out of lead? And where were you selling them afterwards? It didn't make any sense. So there's examples that he uses that seem completely fabricated, which the podcast hilariously points they out. They curse a lot on the uh, show. It's funny. Yeah, I, they do. You know, yeah. we, we talked about it. They get oh, so much yeah. angst. <laughs> and one of the things you mentioned, too, is, yeah, the vagueness of it, right? So they talk about specifically it's really resonating with us is they talked about this part where they said that how vague it is and they're like it's just it's too vague and they're like oh if you just get your mindset right then what is it you never get the step of how to actually do anything how do you get enough money that you could buy an effing apartment complex or whatever it's just so frustrating because all they tell you is if you get your mindset you can achieve anything 
get your mind. So it's just a sarcastic kind of thing, which at that point in the podcast for me, I was just like, because I'm a big believer in mindset. And for me, that part was a part where I, yeah, 1000%. yeah, and that's the part where I was really, ah, it's really funny and it's really easy to just be, for me, it reminded me of a, an angsty teenager who you can just have a sarcastic attitude about anything and just you can't really argue with it because they're so cool. And so with this, I used to be a middle school teacher, by the way. And I dealt with that. that. Was the angriest oh, stage yeah, of your that life. was tough. <laughs> but again, I really do believe that the mindset can open those doors to like believing that something like this is possible. And sure enough, like here we are, we bought two apartment buildings, right? And we're on our way to some more. You have to believe that you can do something great before you do something great. Yeah. But I will acknowledge I, that I, the book I've, doesn't I've tell given... you how to do that. And going back to the mindset component, I do agree with you. Like we've even seen it amongst people that either you and I know together or people I know myself that are very incredibly successful people, self-made, very wealthy. And if you met these people before they hit it big, they already knew that they had achieved something and that they were going to make it happen. It was all up here. Like I, I knew one guy I, I, that I've told Alex about who acted like he was P. Diddy from like day one, just even while he was still in college. He thought that he was it, he's big time, and you couldn't tell him otherwise. And sure enough, this guy owns like a couple of tech companies that he just started from scratch now. The funniest part about uh, that story for me is when you told me about the interview. He's like a lawyer, right? He's not even, or a businessman. He's not no, like a No, 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 no. He's like marketing Okay, so guy. he's a marketer, but he's not a tech. Yeah. Like, he's not an engineer. He's none of that stuff. And then you said in one of the interviews, like some magazine, they're like, so how did you invent this crazy technology that does all these advanced things? Or what was the story? He, just, he was just like straight-faced, yeah. I invented it. Yeah, yeah, essentially. It was on CNBC, and they were like interviewing him about his company, uh, like this was his first company and just blank face just told him he wouldn't even respond to the how he just said I invented it I was like you're a marketing guy you don't have any engineering background you didn't invent anything <laughs> but again it's the mindset yeah and the reporters just took it at face value they're like oh amazing and just kept on going yeah it's something there's something to it and there's examples of people that we've met on the show that have a good balance of that where they are there's something about extreme confidence that is a little bit repulsive to me right like someone who's just so overconfident and sure of themselves that won't even acknowledge there's a possibility that things might not happen the way the way you think or that you're not as awesome as you think you are but those are the people and who make yeah it. They, they often do they often do i'm happy to say that we've had some guests on our show who are simultaneously confident and humble and, and that's the kind of success I want to aspire to, because I think there is something to that, right? Like the voice that we have in our head that tells us you can do this, even though you might never have done it. If you're going to try to accomplish something amazing, you have to have that first time to do it. And you have to believe it in your heart that you are capable of that before it ever even happens. And that takes some guts. That takes a little bit of, hey, so I acknowledge the importance of that confidence, but did we go on a tangent? We were talking about rich dad, poor dad, and here we are. <laughs> no, I think it jives. We're talking about yeah. the mindset component of rich dad, poor dad. They discount that when they do their review of the book. But you and I like both agree that we think that is an important portion of the book. It's what got us on the path that we're on yeah. right now. The examples he uses are utter bullshit. <laughs> I will agree with that. But 
the underlying message I think is valid. I think a lot of your wealth building really starts up here in your mind and in your personal drive and ambition and choosing not to be seduced by the work space safety of a nine to five wage job and choosing to do something a little bit harder, a little bit more riskier, which is really the hardest part. It's, it's very risky to break out from the safe model and try these new things that you've never done before, learn something that school has never prepared you to do before, all with the hope of eventually being successful and being free. And the trick is that these people don't hope. They're like, I know I'll do it. That's it. And they do just because of that belief. It's there's no other option. Yeah. The last point that I want to bring up, which I think from you and I, even before we, we heard this podcast poo-pooing on Rich Dad Poor Dad, whenever we would recommend the book to people, I think you and I always were like, I'm going to recommend this book. But disclaimer, this guy hates poor people. He <laughs> really talks badly about the poor in this book. And it is. And, and keep in mind, his definition of poor is very broad. It includes you, uh, whoever you are. <laughs> yeah, it includes everyone. If you're not a millionaire already, you are beneath him. <laughs> it includes me. It includes you. It includes whoever is yeah. listening to this podcast. Maybe not everyone. But he's, yeah, pretty much if you have to work a nine-to-five job or... Or also just mindset kind of things, right? He talks about all these different ways in which just the poor have this bad attitude. And it, it just frankly, it's very political, right? This guy is a Trump. They're like very close friends with Donald Trump, Kiyosaki. And it gets political. And he really not. And I think when he talks about the poor, he's talking about leftist. I don't know what else to call them as like socialist. Yeah. And so that's why there's just this hint of contempt and disdain that he has throughout the book towards the poor. And it is a little bit hard to swallow as you read it. But again, I encourage you guys to check it out and don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Any other words you want to share before we, we end our little episode today, Aziz? I think another portion that they point out in the podcast that is also amusing is the idea that he creates this image that he's this and always has been this very successful businessman that applied and implemented these ideas from a young age and made it big. But when you actually dissect his life, it's there's a lot of vagueness and it seems like he was just like a failed businessman most of his life until he got onto this. He wrote this book and somehow it found its way to Oprah, mm -hmm. I believe it was. And that's what launched him into actually becoming wealthy. So they, at least the podcast hosts, believe that he vehemently believes the ideologies that he presents because he thinks they are what made him successful when in reality it was just like circumstances of just right timing, luck that made it happen. And I don't know, I agree and disagree with that. I agree like he probably was a failed businessman most of his life. But I think the fact that, again, it's the mindset aspect. He was so persistent and constantly trying new things just to even sit down and write a book, even if it's a badly written book, that takes yeah. drive and ambition. And to think it is like, this is good and push it enough that it somehow finds its way to Oprah. That's still something. So it's, as you said, take it as you wish. Be mindful that there are some aspects of the book that are helpful. And then just try to overlook the ridiculous aspects. 
Yeah, again, I think for me, it's just more like pointing to the track record of people who are successful, who point to this book as the turning point is like the big thing for me. And yeah, yeah, after reading the book, I do honestly see that the rules and the path that I had laid out for my life was not going to take me where I wanted to go. And that's a really important thing for all of us to just look down the road that you're on and see where is that taking you? And is that the place you want to go? And for me, it wasn't. And so here we are. Do you want to touch on cash flow quadrant? I think we should leave we'll that leave for, another for another one. Okay. We'll have another one on cash flow yeah, quadrant. Yeah, one book at yeah. a time. Okay. Yeah. But we'll call it a day. We'll call it an episode, a wrap. Thank you guys, as always, for listening, for tuning in. And we definitely welcome your input, your thoughts, and your discussion. We want to create a community where there's there's dialogue. And so, again, you can write us directly at info at screwthestockmarket.com. And we hope to be in touch soon with another episode. Thank you, guys. And feel free to comment on our social media as well. We love engagement there. We're on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, where you can watch these episodes and also LinkedIn. So please reach out.